Hello, and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, Charlie, and today I'm bringing in a paper about MacGyvering on Mars. I'm your other host, James. I didn't even know you could MacGyver on Mars, so Charlie, I have plenty of questions for you. Well, it turns out it's, you know, it's not really MacGyvering, but dang it, I thought I'd grab your attention with that cool word. So James and I are both PhD students. We read a lot of papers in our own research, and so we started this podcast as a way to share our love for science and also our knack for reading papers quickly with anyone who wants to learn about the discoveries that affect us all. In short, we are the Paper Boys. All right, I have to address the elephant in the room, which is our terrible sound quality, which is actually thanks to the terrible weather in Seattle right now. We got a a crazy snowstorm of two inches of snow that fell, and it shut down our campus for so far for the entire week. So, Yeah, we actually got a message from a previous student who was on the grad student highlight as well, saying that it was negative 56 where she was. So this just seems ridiculous in comparison. Anyway, they shut down the library where we normally would record in our beautiful sound studio. So we apologize for the less than professional sound quality, and we will be back to your regularly scheduled quality next week. Yes. Quality of sound, of course, not of content. (laughs) (laughs) So, Charlie, all right, MacGyver on Mars, what were you reading in the news to get you to that? So I regret saying that because I take a little bit of issue with the term MacGyvering. You know, I believe that it offends those who like to tinker with things. It's, no, I, I, I took a little bit of issue with the term MacGyvering that they used in some of these news articles because it was kind of a mischaracterization. But we'll get to that at the end. Okay. The news articles that I was seeing, though, had to do with um, the Curiosity rover, which is obviously the rover that's on Mars, and how it was making some measurements using an instrument that it was originally not intended for. So one of the headlines was from NPR, said NASA's Mars rover may have solved a mountain mystery. Ooh, that sounds like a big mystery. Yes, so there's a mystery. Now, I I very carefully selected the order of these headlines to reveal more and more. I'm on the edge of my seat. So mysteries primed. Now, the Weather Channel said, scientists may have learned how a three-mile-high mountain on Mars formed. Hmm, interesting. interesting. New York Times says how NASA's Curiosity rover weighed a mountain on Mars. So you're starting to get the sense that they're talking about the formation of this mountain and the weight of the mountain. Something about that, those two things are a mystery. Now, Charlie, I'm no Mars rover, but weighing a mountain sounds pretty hard. Well, you just have to bring a scale. Right. And put it on the scale. It's not that hard. Um, (laughs) So now the last one, Eureka Alert says, Curiosity's first attempt at gravimetry advances Martian geology. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the rover. (laughs) What's gravimetry? Okay, so gravimetry is actually the technique that they're going to use. I lied before when I said it was a scale, in case you didn't know. Dang it. (laughs) So gravimetry is actually the technique that they're going to use to quote-unquote weigh this mountain. So essentially gravimetry is just measuring gravitational fields very precisely. Okay, that makes sense. 
Yeah, one way that this technique is useful is actually that you can measure the density of rock using gravimetry. Oh, interesting, because the gravitational field would be changing, presumably? Yes, so gravity obviously is just the result of the mass of something. So usually what they'll do is like from orbit, they'll perform gravimetry. So they'll have a, a sensor up there that is able to measure the gravitational strength very precisely. And as you pass over a certain region on the Earth, if the density of the rock there is less, like if the rock is less dense, then it's going to have less mass. And so locally, the gravity pulling on the satellite or on the instrument from that area on the Earth is going to be weaker than you'd expect at a different region. Interesting. So okay. the weaker gravity means less dense. And, you know, if, it, if suddenly they see a big increase in the gravity as they fly over some region, then that means that the rock there is more dense. You know, it's just a, sort of about measuring local gravity differences and using that to explain different features of what's what's beneath you. Wow, that seems like a really clever technique for figuring out these complex compositions of the, the rock that are beneath the rover, you know, without directly invasively measuring them. Yeah, it's really clever. And it's, you know, something you can't like dig down 100 kilometers into the rock and measure the density of all these things, you know. So this is a cool way to like indirectly figure out what's beneath the surface of a planet. Wow, interesting. So how does this tie to Curiosity's mission then? So the authors of this paper actually used Curiosity. They actually repurposed some old data from Curiosity to perform gravimetry after the fact. And of course, by repurpose, you mean MacGyver, right? <laughs> Yes, of course. That, that's exactly what I mean. So the paper was published February 1st, 2019 in the journal Science. It's called A Surface Gravity Traverse on Mars Indicates Low Bedrock Density at Gale Crater. And the authors are, get ready for a long list, Kevin W. Lewis, Stephen Peters, Kurt Gonter, Shauna Morrison, Nicholas Schmer, Ashwin R. Vasavada, and Travis Gabriel. And they come from kind of all over, like Johns Hopkins, NASA, couple different universities. Cool. Okay. But all people who are working on the Curiosity rover. So the title of the paper mentions the density of the bedrock at Gale Crater. Yeah. Why why is this of interest? So Gale Crater is where Curiosity has been for the last, you know, since since it landed in 2012, and more specifically, it's been at the base of a mountain that's in the center of Gale Crater called Mount Sharp. And Mount Sharp is 5 kilometers tall. Curiosity rover for the last like several years has been essentially attempting to climb that mountain. Wow, that's a big mountain. <laughs> yeah, it's I pretty big. Yeah, especially for just a little a little robot to be attempting to. I don't think they're ever going to summit it, but they're moving up. And the reason why they're interested in the density of the rock in this area is that it actually could answer some questions about how the mountain formed in the first place. Hmm. What thoughts do they have for its formation? So there's a couple of hypotheses out there right now. I think there's two main ones that are like pretty hotly debated. One of the theories is that Gale Crater used to be this, you know, kind of vast area that was completely filled to the brim with sedimentary rock. And then that somehow eroded away over a really long time and left this mountain in the middle. Like, I don't know what erosion processes would cause it to leave that behind, but that's one hypothesis. There's another hypothesis where the crater has always been sort of relatively empty and the mountain formed in the middle spontaneously through some other process, you know, not erosion of... It's either the material was removed and left a mountain or the material was added to form a mountain. That's kind of the two competing hypotheses. Okay, so you have these two different hypotheses 
for how this large geological formation came about over time. And so then measuring the density of the bedrock will give them some idea of which process it was? Yes. So the reason the density is important is that if Gale Crater at some point was completely buried in sediment, I mean, that would be five kilometers deep. Like the point wow. where the Curiosity okay. rover is sitting here at the bottom of the crater, it would have been, you know, that area would have been buried five kilometers below the rock at some point in the past. Oh, that would be a tremendous weight on all this rock underneath. Like right. You'd expect it to be very compact and dense, right? Exactly. So you would expect, yeah, with all that weight of everything above it, you know, it would crush everything beneath it to the point where everything got really dense. And, you know, that's, I think that's how rocks form, right? So measuring the density could tell them whether it was ever buried that deep or not, which could prove or disprove the hypothesis. Interesting. So you're saying they MacGyvered this instrument on there that wasn't there initially, like sounds like you would need some pretty expensive, accurate equipment that is like deliberately on this rover to measure that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be a hard measurement to make? Yes. So that's what's interesting. That's what is so interesting about this paper. And I think the reason why it made such headlines is that there actually is not an instrument on Curiosity dedicated to gravimetry. So they never set out to do gravimetry with Curiosity. But there was this scientist, Kevin Lewis, who's the first author on this paper, who was trying to come up with an experiment, you know, for a proposal that they could propose for whatever next Mars lander to perform gravimetry on Mars or to f- somehow measure the subsurface density of rock. And then he suddenly realized, wait, we already have some data that might work for this. Really? <laughs> so you've just been sitting on this data? Yeah. So Kevin Lewis's kind of big breakthrough was that Curiosity has accelerometers on it. You mean like in our cell phones? Yeah, like the exact same thing. So an accelerometer just measures essentially the direction that the force of gravity is pointing and, you know, what the force of gravity is at a certain point. So, it, yeah, it, like you said, it's the same thing that's in your cell phone that is able to tell it when you've rotated it to the side and then it, you know, flips your screen for you. Wow, okay. So, uh, so they're using, they're just repurposing accelerometers that are already on board Curiosity? To measure this? Yes. The additional gradient? Yes. The accelerometers already on board were really there just to measure essentially the orientation of Curiosity. So if it's climbing up a hill that has a five degree slope, then those accelerometers are what actually tells it that it's tilted by five degrees. They're part of an instrument package called RIMU, I think it is. R-I-M-U, Rover Inertial Measurement Unit, I want to say is what that acronym stands for. But you already said they had all this data, presumably from RIMU? Yeah, so the data they used in this study actually already existed. Curiosity had already taken this data throughout the course of its last several years driving up Mount Sharp. They've sort of unexpectedly been collecting the science data already? Yes, without even knowing it. Wow. So the way they got this data in the first place was that, I guess on days when Curiosity doesn't perform a drive... You know, so it'll sit in a certain location for a couple days at a time while it's doing different science missions. And they'll take these measurements where they run the RIMU instrument for, you know, like five minutes and then they average that data and they come out with, here's the gravitational strength at this location. And so you can imagine over the course of six years or so driving up the mountain, they have that data from all these different points at a bunch of different locations on the mountain. And those locations actually correspond to different elevations because it actually has climbed something like 350 meters vertical over that time. Wow. 
I mean, that's impressive, too, when you consider how risky it is to move the rover. I mean, it probably moves, like, 10 centimeters a day or something like that. Yeah, but, you know, by this point in time, it's moved, I think it's driven, like, a marathon's worth on the surface of Mars. Really? Wow. pretty cool, yeah. That's cool. And so they're collecting this data on the days in between. They're kind of compiling this big data set. But then what? Like, when they realized they had this data, what did they do? Yeah, so they collected, they took all this data from the last six years, and it's very noisy. And again, since it wasn't built for this gravimetry thing, it kind of has all these different factors that are affecting it. And they, they have to back out the data that they need. And so they did this crazy extensive like calibration and fitting sequence. So the first thing that they did is they had to adjust the data to account for all the different effects that could cause the measurement of gravitational strength to be changed. What sort of effects would you expect? Radiation or temperature? or So like one thing is um, the actual rotation of Mars causes you to feel a different force of gravity. Really? Yeah. So, you know, think that Mars is spinning Mm -hmm. and gravity is pulling you down onto the surface just from the mass of the planet. But then the spinning is causing like a centrifugal force, you know, or like the, you know, the apparent force that causes you to feel less gravity. It's like, it's like when you're rounding over a hill on a roller coaster and you feel, suddenly you feel less of a gravitational force in your seat. Like you, you suddenly feel like you're floating, you know? Whoa. And so that, the accelerometer that's already on there is sensitive enough to sense that? Yeah, so, you know, the effect is actually enough that you have to account for it. So you have to say, they're essentially trying to back out what is the force of gravity due to the rock underneath it. So right now, the only measurement that they have is the total aggregate of, you know, every different effect that could change the gravity you feel just pumps down into one single number from the accelerometer. It feels like you have this haystack of different things that are giving you noisy measurements. Right. One of those elements, one of those little pieces of straw is just from gravity. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other effects like the temperature could actually change what's happening internally in the chip that would maybe cause the reading to be different. And um, yeah, and then, of course, one of those effects is the gravitational pull of the actual rock on Mars. So by combining all these different effects, they can kind of put them all in as variables in this one massive function that if you put in the right things for these variables, you come out with the data that is actually measured, like that one number at that one location. So almost like we learned in like old school math class, like y equals mx plus b, where like y is the gravitational force based on the density of the rock. But in this case, the equation is not mx plus b. It's like, you know, you have a factor for the temperature and the factor for your latitude yeah, and, and each factor one of those for the is a tilt function. the Martian rover and all this stuff. Like yeah. It's a huge equation, but like they figure it out some, some sort of way to fit that to get what they want. Yes, exactly. So that's what it is. It's a regression analysis, like all okay. these different variables and one curve that is the data. And then so they, you know, they adjust all the variables until they find the best fit to the data. And so then they're able to, you know, having all those different parameters adjusted and finding their best fit, then they can back out the effect of each one. I wish this podcast could capture my facial expression because that sounds because it is of utter surprise and shock <laughs> and joy that I do not have to analyze that. <laughs> I know that sounds very hard. It doesn't sound fun, but you know, if you're a statistician or, or you just love Mars and you love curiosity, then it's probably pretty fun. It is cool. The implications are very cool. Yes. So um, uh, 
Interesting. So from this regression analysis, what did they find? So they determined, you know, again, the, the number they're measuring is the gravitational strength. And they're measuring it a, across a bunch of different elevations. And so they determined that the gravity gradient along that change in elevation was, you know, and this is going to be weird units, but the gradient was negative 0.152 plus or minus 0.006 milligals per meter. So every meter that they climbed vertically along the mountain, the gravitational strength got weaker by 0.152 milligals, whatever milligals means, but let's just use that as our baseline. Uh, I'm just looking it up right now. So a gal is equal to an excel, it's a measure of acceleration. So one gal is 0.01 meter per second squared. So the acceleration due to Earth's gravity at the surface, for example, is like 980 gal. Oh, I see. And that's the same as, you know, the, the gravitational acceleration we're all familiar with, 9.8 meters per second squared. Yeah. Okay, you just turn that into gal, which is a different, a different factor. Yeah, just multiply by like 100, I guess. Okay, so when you're talking about that the gravity got weaker by 0.152 milligal for each meter that it climbed, that's like a minuscule, you know, you, a person would never feel that difference, obviously. But they were able to back out that it, that tiny change in gravitational force using this data. Wow, interesting. So that's pretty cool from this repurposed RIMU instrument they were able to get measurements this accurate. It's yeah. a very small amount of acceleration to measurement. Yeah, I mean, so, for something that was not purpose-built, very sensitive. Wow, so I mean, so this change in the gravitational acceleration that they measured, was this just due to the elevation change? So they actually were able to calculate what it would have been if it was just elevation change. So, so I mean, that, that's a good point. Like, you imagine going a little bit further from the center of the planet, you would expect to see slightly less of a gravitational force. You know, like imagine if you keep going further and further away from Earth, eventually you don't feel its gravity at all, right? Yeah, so its on gravitational a, field drops off. And... Yeah, so on a, on a very tiny scale, you know, you do feel those tiny variations, and that, you know, could be on the order of 0.152 milligals. Yeah. Um, so they did that calculation, and they found out that the quote-unquote free air change, you know, assuming that Curiosity could just, like, spontaneously lift itself 350 meters into the air, would have been... 0.218 milligals, which is a bigger change. So Curiosity was actually experiencing less of a decrease. Sorry, a double negative, but it was experiencing less of a decrease in the gravitational strength than what they expected just based on going to a higher altitude. Okay, so if I understood that right, Curiosity was experiencing a higher gravitational force at like the end of its point. So when it was higher up on the mountain, than they would have expected. Yes, yes. Huh. So that means that there's something else that's causing that gravitational strength to be stronger. And obviously the only thing that could be is the actual mass of the mountain. You know, you're increasing the mass of the mountain beneath you as you climb up higher on it. So what does that tell us then about the rock? Coming back to like those, they had their initial hypotheses. Do they give us some idea of the composition of the rock? Yeah, so, I mean, this is where now the gravimetry comes in, which is that they, you know, comparing the expected with the actual measured value, then they can take the, the discrepancy and turn that number into a mass of rock beneath them. Oh. So, you know, that extra mass of rock caused that extra amount of gravity pulling on them. And then knowing kind of the rough area over which they traveled, they can then 
back out what the density of that rock is. Interesting. So this is where weighing that mountain comes into play from the headline we saw earlier. Yes. And so, you know, that's, and that's gravimetry. Like that's the technique. And so. It's so simple when you put it like that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They're just doing it from a whole planet away. Yeah. So they calculate the density of the rock to be uh, 1,680 kilograms per meter cubed, which is a meaningless number. <laughs> I'm sure it means something to someone someone who has very little geological reference. I don't know what that means. So the significance of this number is that it's actually a lot lower than the sedimentary rock that Curiosity has found at other places in Gale Crater. So like, you know, think of like a sedimentary okay. rock, meaning like like a solid rock that it could pick up, you know, it drills into and it measures the density of that rock. And the density of those rocks is around 2,800 kilograms per meter cubed compared to the, you know, 1,700 that it's measuring for the subsurface. That seems like a pretty significant difference. Yeah. I don't very know much about rocks, but... <laughs> yeah, it's very significant. So that's telling you that the stuff under the ground has a much lower density than, than you know, the solid chunks of sediment that they that they found on, on the ground. Based on that density, they can calculate uh, a parameter called porosity, which I think is just a description of, like, it's a ratio of the amount of air that's there compared to the amount of rock that's there. Hmm. You know, so if it's, like, very loosely packed and there's a bunch of air pockets, that's a higher porosity. Okay. I'm trying to think then, like, so they're looking at this mountain. It's less dense than they expected. It has a higher porosity uh, than the previous rock that Curiosity has driven over. Where does this lead the researchers then? Like, what did they find? So oh, the so with the porosity that they measured, which they measured around forty percent, that implies that all the subsurface material is it's that's like what the porosity of like soil is and like sand, not yeah. not oh. like hard packed rock, but you know kind of loose, loose loose stuff. Yes, loose stuff, <laughs> and you know whatever this stuff is, which you know the implication of that is that this isn't like this big densely packed hunk of rock that's formed into a mountain. It's kind of like a pile of sand and dust. Okay, it's not just like a huge volcano or something like that. It's like... Yeah, so, you know, think back to our two hypotheses. We talked about if Gale Crater had been completely buried in sediment, then all the stuff near the base of the mountain would have been really densely packed. Mm -hmm. But we just found out that it has 40% porosity, which is very high. You know, normally you'd expect like 15% if, the other, if that hypothesis were true. Wow, okay, so... I mean, this is really important evidence then for differentiating between which hypothesis is actually possible. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of gives a pretty big clue that the, you know, buried under sediment hypothesis is, is wrong. Because if the things had been buried under five kilometers worth of sediment, then the porosity that they found there and the density they found there would have been much, uh, it would have been much denser. So the fact that they found this low density subsurface rock means that it's more likely that Gale Crater was always sort of empty and that all the sediment kind of collected and built up into a pile. Ah, okay. So Gale Crater then most likely was not, there was not an ocean in it or a huge lake. Like I, you know, I don't know enough to say if that's the case, but like, yeah, I think that's normally how these things would form. Like a big mountain like that would form. Okay. Um, and I think that this kind of points away from that. Bummer. Yeah, I, I know. I was hoping for another opportunity to buy some beachfront property on Mars. I know, yeah. I hope that the water comes back. <laughs> Probably not a good investment, but just thought. <laughs> yeah, you know, it only, it'll only take a couple billion to get there in the first place. 
Well, that's pretty cool. It's neat, you know, coming back to the hypothesis that they were able to actually test this using some repurposed instrument that they had never intended to use in the first place. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, for like such a, you know, it's not like a life changing discovery or anything, but like a pretty big discovery about saying, well, we can pretty definitively say how a mountain on a different planet formed from this data. And for that data to have come from just like a complete afterthought of, you know, repurposing the analysis, everything, you know, I'm just in awe that they thought of this and then they actually got an answer out of it. How many people are just sitting on six years worth of old data that leads you to a first author science paper? I know. Yeah. Like data that could really change the way we see another planet, you know? Yeah. I think one takeaway from this is don't throw away your old spreadsheets. Don't. Yeah. Save your hard drives and (laughs) back it all up. May let you weigh a mountain on Mars someday. Who knows? Yeah. I'm afraid we just doomed some poor grad student to two years of slogging through old data that's never going to turn into anything. (laughs) If that is the case, uh, we sincerely apologize. One thing, just looking at the paper, a little alarmed that they didn't put MacGyver's name on there and cite him as a reference or at least an acknowledgement. Yeah, no references to MacGyver. And, you know, you'll now maybe you have a little bit of a sense why the news articles that used that terminology sort of bothered me because they didn't actually... So let's just go into it. I mean, the NPR article says um, the researchers MacGyvered a navigation instrument, which is kind of misleading because they didn't actually do anything to this instrument. Actually, they didn't do anything at all different about the operation of Curiosity. Like Curiosity just was doing these things all along for a completely different reason. And then they and then they MacGyvered the data. So just to be clear, there were no paper clips. No rubber bands involved. No. Duct tape was never brought out. They didn't even like upload new code to the rover or anything. Really? Okay. So it's just been, they've literally just been sitting on the data. Yes. Wow. I mean, it is exciting to say MacGyver. Yeah. But it, it, I, I mean, it, give, it gives a cool sense, I guess. But, you know, it, again, this is my total nitpicking, you know, but having read the paper and maybe understanding a little more about this, it kind of gives the wrong impression about what, you know, the day to day of, like, I think it belies the fact that this science is really hard. And, like, having this rover on Mars is a really big deal. It's not just like, oh, let's just, yeah, you know, the the main mission's over. Let's just, you know, why don't you take this robotic arm, kind of plug it into the wheel and see if you can you know, rip out this wire. Like, they're not doing crazy stuff like that. Like, it's incredibly... It's the Hollywood version of, like, The Martian or something like that. Right, where he literally yeah. is MacGyvering his way off of Mars, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I mean, I'm being I'm being such a snob about this, you know, but... <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, I mean, I guess in the same regard, it's, like, pretty cool. You have this group of perhaps some of the smartest people on Earth who put together this rover, you know, before it even landed on Mars in, like, 2012 or whatever it was. It had probably been in planning for 20 years. And here, still, after it landed probably years after it had been collecting data, the scientists realized they were collecting something that was valuable that they didn't even realize. That's a good point. Like, there's always some extra benefit that comes out of these missions that you never that you never really intended. You know, whether it's some spin-off technology or it's some new data that you never planned to collect in the first place. I mean, yeah, you know, we're well beyond the original mission of Curiosity, which was only two years. Oh, wow. So yeah, now we're like, now they're just into territory where they're like, well, let's see what more we can collect, you know? Yeah. So, well, that's cool. That's really neat. 
how did the other articles do? So the New York Times article was really good, actually. Um, this one is really detailed. It like actually really takes the time to explain the different hypotheses for how M- Mount Sharp formed, which is important because it kind of sets the context for, for the research. Mm-hmm. And if you don't really understand the hypotheses, then why would you care what the density of the rock on Mars is, you know? Yeah, like that's just a meaningless number, and it's not interesting. It's literally the oh, the density of rock. So, uh, so I think it, it was really well reported that actually, if you know, if I wasn't already excited about Mars stuff, it actually would give me a good understanding and make me feel invested in this. Whereas the other articles, like the NPR one, especially, just kind of like listed off a result and then kind of said what the hypothesis now is, but then didn't really tie anything together. It just sort of said some numbers and then didn't explain to you why that is important. So, I don't know. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. NPR, usually usually they're so reliable, but I, know. I guess we all fall sometimes. Slap on the wrist for them. So I actually did take a sneak peek at the New York Times article, and I didn't read any of the text. I just looked at the <laughs> pictures. But there were sweet pictures from Curiosity of the Gale Crater and Mount Sharp that, you know, Almost indis- almost indistinguishable from Earth. You like feel like you're on Mars. So yeah, yeah. They're really worth taking a look at, and we'll be posting them online along with the original paper that Charlie presented. Um, again, our website is paperboyspodcast.com. Yeah, definitely go check those out. Also, wherever you are right now, if you're listening to the sound of our voices, please send us a tweet and let us know where you're listening from. We love hearing from people and just knowing that anyone's listening like honestly makes our entire week so just say hey james and charlie i'm in the lab right now listening to your podcast uh you know just say hi to us hit us up uh at paperboys pod is our twitter handle and we're also on instagram and as always please join us again next week for another exciting edition of paperboys thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>